There it is. Sorry, my mistake, as always. Uh, I'm Scott. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and recovery from alcohol and drugs. Great to see everybody. What a, a magnificent night of people in recovery. Uh, I love you all. So let me pray. Thank you. That's the truth. We love each other here. And you love us, Lord. And uh, this, is, this is the first step, Lord. And, and there's something... Uh, that's difficult about this particular word and this principle tonight. So, Lord, would your grace be enough to uh, uh, teach whatever you want to teach each person who hears my words? And would uh, my experience, strength, and hope come through uh, in whatever level of understanding you've given me of this thing called powerlessness? So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So tonight we're looking at the first step. Uh, it's a great time to be here if you're new. It's a great time to be here if you're not, because uh, this every is a, every lesson is a standalone lesson. And, and this uh, the first step reads that we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, and that our lives had become unmanageable. And tonight, as I already prayed, uh, I'm going to focus on that word powerless. <clears throat> I uh, first want to begin with some fun. Uh, that's pretty unusual for me. We'll see how it goes. But I, I want to share some famous opening lines from books and movies. And as you watch the screen, the first line of a book or a movie is going to come up. And I just want you to yell out the answers. Uh, if it gets too unmanageable, I'll try to control that. But um, <laughs> the first ones are easy. Then they're going to get a little tougher. So, so let's start with a real easy one. Uh, what movie began with the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? All right, where is it on the screen, guys, up there? It's my bad, probably. All right, um, let's go on to one that's pretty self-descriptive. Uh, one movie started with the words, Scarlett O'Hara was not beautiful, but men seldom realized it when they were caught by her charm. All right, guys, there we go. Okay, we're, they got it. Okay, uh, good, you guys are doing good. Uh, little bit of deductiveness required with this one. So how about you don't know about me without you have read a book by the name, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't no matter. Huck Finn, good job. All right, readers. Um, Getting a little tougher. I'm old. I'm old. So if you're young, have grace. You may not have even heard of these books, but... um, (laughs) It's a pretty famous one. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities, I heard somebody say it. All right, I asked Scott for something for the young guys and gals, so we'll see how this one floats. Um, hey, you'll, you'll go under the bus, not me. So, what movie began with these words? I like it. I, I don't remember it, but I like it. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's, it's a good nonspecific symptom. I'm a, Get him out of here. Uh, All right. Yeah, Ferris Bueller. It worked. All right, going back to the classics. But what what book began with the words, call me Ishmael? Moby Dick, Lisa. Good job. Yeah, you're old like me. No, you're not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, here's another one of Scott's. I don't like that you guys got all over. You know him better than mine, but, but I'm old. So... What uh, movie began with the words, who am I? Are you sure you want to know? There it is. All right, Spider-Man. Good job, guys. All right. uh, 
One more. Uh, this is getting a little tougher, but it's old again. I would have known it, but oh well, there I go. Uh, what, what book began with the words, he was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream? All right, who said it? Old man in the sea, good job. Um, okay, here's a stumper. Um, but it's, I chose this because this is a book that everybody's talking about right now with all that's going on in the world. Um, so there's a hint. <laughs> I guess that was too big a hint. But that book began with, it was a bright cold, it's, a, it's kind of a neat, neat opening line for what it's worth. It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. That was the first line. And finally, okay, here's the point of tonight's lesson. What book begins with this sentence? Or sentences. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. Almost. The second book of recovery other than the big book is? The 12 by 12, the, the, the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. That, this is the first sentence of the self-described book that describes itself as the instruction manual about the explicit view on the principles of the 12 steps, which are spiritual principles. So that opening sentence is a pretty big introduction to this program, which leads to tonight's message on powerless. It's a pretty important place to start. And who cares to even go there? You go, Scott gave me a really tough lesson because nobody likes to admit personal powerlessness, but it's essential. And two, two paragraphs later, the, the, the 12 by 12 says this, but upon entering the program, hey, we're all here, we're entered. We soon take another view. We perceive the, that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength? Pretty important to consider as we look at this topic called powerless. So here, I just want you to begin tonight because this is a process, this program, and, and it's a, a learning to apply these principles that you begin to accept your need. Uh, we're not asking you to surrender. That comes in the third step, though I will talk about some things like that tonight. But I just want you to begin to go, okay, where am I on this concept of understanding and applying this term of powerlessness? Because let's be honest, as I already said, it's not something most people want to stand up and teach and most people don't want to receive. In fact, you probably a lot of you go, I'm out of here. I don't want to hear about this. It's not attractive. It's not something I like. And it certainly doesn't come to my human nature to admit powerlessness. Our pride gets in the way and every one of us have that battle. And um, it's a difficult concept. It's also a difficult concept because... The truth is we do have power in our humanity, okay? So that complicates the things too because we could each do some things with the energy, energy that God gave us in the life that he breathed into us. And we can do good and we can do evil. And just so you know, I'm not going through my list of things today, but I've done a lot of both. And the things that are most impactful in my life, sadly, are the evil. And I think that's pretty true for most humans to take a look at. Um, 
So the question really becomes, what are we powerless over? And the, the step kind of tells us we have to admit into this program that we're powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, whether that's over a substance or over our attempt to control people or over our anger or over our food or over desire to eat popcorn too much. We all have powerless issues in our life. And this principle goes back to the initial principles that I preach of humility. It's true of all of us that we're, we're this powerless person over certain things in our life. And if you don't understand that, then you've got to keep coming back because you slowly will. I believe that with all my heart. But humility always produces honesty, and that means, yeah, that's me too. I may not even be sure why I'm here tonight, but if I really consider what you're gonna, I'm going to hear tonight, I can start to go, yeah, I'm powerless over some things in my life too. Um, and let me just be clear. I... And I'm going to say, like you, had no ability to do anything of value before Christ. Because my faith rested in me and my power. It's the only worldview I understood. And I figured if it had to get done, if it was going to get done, I had to do it. And at the same time, I had the evil living in me that was fighting anything valuable and important in my life. So... Um, let me give you an example, and I, I talk about this a lot, but it's because of what I do for a living most of the hours of a week. And uh, it's an example of the powerlessness that has, still hits home in my life, and I think for anybody who's married, at some level, it can connect you to what this powerlessness can begin to mean in your life. If you're single, listen up, because it's something you need to hear and learn as you prepare potentially for marriage someday in your life. But I do so much marriage counseling. And it's so common to hear people come in and get their applications and for them to express the desire to come to counseling to see life change in their marriage. And they describe what's going on and they say, this is what's good, this is what's going good. And so my skill, and most of their complaints are we just don't know how to even be kind to each other. I often tell people, this is rather futile and it's kind of hyperbolic, I say, why don't you just start by trying to treat each other as well as you would treat a, control, a total stranger? Because that might be an improvement for the way you're treating the most important person in your life. Um, but, so, they come in and they say, we can't be nice to each other, we can't be kind. So I take them back to the basics, I'm no genius, and I say, let's start by getting you to be kind to each other. Why don't you begin to smile at each other instead of frown? Why don't you begin to get up and do the dishes instead of letting your spouse do it? Why don't you spend 20 minutes together and talk and, and maybe begin praying together and studying the Bible together, go on a date, make love regularly, the, the things that the scriptures say any married person should do. It, it's right there. Well, let's just start there. And here's the truth. For a huge portion, portions of people, those simple instructions are easier for them than go, saying, go climb Mount Everest. And, and they flee, usually blaming me or the other person, saying it didn't work. And, and the reality is, is that they're powerless. And, and it's okay. So just so you know, anybody who's ever seen me, you don't get out of my office with saying, well, you ought to come celebrate recovery. Because here you'll learn why you're powerless, how you're powerless, and how God can restore your life to sanity and, and begin to give you all the blessings of walking and living by faith rather than your own power and your might that are ruining your home and your family and your kids. So, um, hopefully, that still hits home to me. I'm, hey, I'm a jerk sometimes. 
She's not here tonight, but I think she's watching. Um, I know, hon. Uh, but, but I hope you tonight can at least begin just through that example to look at your relationships and go, yeah, I'm a jerk sometimes too. And I, I, I keep doing that stuff. I'm clearly, I'm powerless to not be loving and kind to people all the time. So um, I pray that you'll begin to step. For me, let's be clear. It used to be drugs, sex, rock and roll. Today it's something different. But as Roseanne Rosanna Dunna used to say, again, I'm old. It's always something. Um, so as you face your thoughts about what God might be saying to you, realize that significant life change can only become possible when we admit we're powerless over certain things. It's a starting point. It's a starting point for what we do in recovery, just like the 12 by 12 says. And the Bible tells us that we're only going to change if we, we transform the way we think. We don't have an acting problem or a drug problem or a codependency problem. We have a thinking problem. And here is one of the greatest transitions that must happen in our thinking process from going, I'm powerful, I'm right, I'm in control, to literally shifting that switch to maybe I am powerless. Maybe I can't control all these things that I've thought that I can control for so long. So, everything begins to change with this new information. So, where do we find the ultimate true information? Always in the scriptures. So, you may ask, where in the world did Jesus treat, uh, preach this powerless message? Well, um, let's look at John 15. One of the great chapters of scripture. If, you, if you're not a big Bible reader, just read that chapter. But in uh, John 15, Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, that's a pretty, pretty uh, powerful thing he said. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty radical. You mean I can't do anything? Well, I had a life-changing moment, a revelatory moment from my sponsor one time. When we were talking about that scripture and I kind of said, what's... Fill me in a little bit. Um, and he said, well, he's got, you know what that Greek word nothing means? And I was like, no, tell me, give me some great revelation. He says, it means nothing. <laughs> he said it means no thing. It means nada. The word's still ring in my mind. Nothing. We can do nothing that matters a lick in our lives apart from Christ. He said it, it's true. So we have to begin to realize that we're powerless apart from him. We will only bear bad fruit apart from him. We can do some good things, but they won't be remembered and they won't have value in the ultimate realm of our lives. So how do we do it? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 18, he, he put it this way. I tell you the truth. I didn't understand this one for a while too. I'm dense. You all maybe go, this guy's a pastor, but I had to ask questions. Um, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm like, well, children are got, got a thousand things that describe a children. What is he talking about? Well, the person wiser than me said, children are totally helpless apart from somebody else taking care of them. They can't survive. They can't feed themselves. They can't take care of themselves. They can't put a roof over their head or food in their mouths. They are totally dependent on another person for their survival. This is what you must become to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That's powerless. It's the starting point for life in Christ. It's the starting point for life recovery. It's the beginning of the journey to get this point of view across. So moving forward, I, I want to go quickly through four actions. Um, I hope you'll write them down and apply them. I'm powerless, but I encourage you. I assure you that uh, you will begin to experience changes if you begin to change the way you think and think about this powerless aspect. The first two are things to stop denying. Scott taught on denial two weeks ago. Fabulous lesson. If you haven't heard it, listen to our podcast. Um, and and uh, the second two are things to start practicing that will move you forward towards understanding the powerless principle. They're pretty easy. You probably could stand up here and tell them. But the first is, I want you to stop denying that you want to be God. And uh, this begins the process of the new way of thinking. The first step is to admit you want to be God. And uh, some of you may be sitting there, hi, I got you, Pastor. Uh, I don't want to be God. You, you, that's, that's not me. Well, with uh, the truth and love and gently spoken, yes, you do. Uh, because we all want to be God. We all want to control our lives, other people, circumstances, events. It goes with the human nature and our powerfulness that we convince ourselves of. And uh, scripture tells us why it's important because you either go about serving God or you're serving something of the world. And in Matthew uh, 6... Um, he was speaking specifically about money, but I believe it speaks to anything we idolize or try to control under our own power. Jesus said no one can be a slave to two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. Now, that's black and white stuff Jesus is saying here. Or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. There's no middle ground with Jesus and where your power is found. Now, um, so quit denying all of us, again, if you're wrestling with a thought, then try to jump over that bridge. If you're already there, try to focus more on it as you apply this powerless principle to your life. But as a beginning, quit denying you want to be God. Because we do. I do. Let me just say, I, I wish you all would do everything I wanted you to do. I mean, life would go well, wouldn't it? Uh, not. Um, quit denying, secondly, the pain our attempts to be God produces. It's a, a finer step, but, but every time we try to be God in some way, negative fruit happens. It's a given because it's a job description none of us can fulfill. And the minimum thing's gonna happen is you become anxious. I'm not gonna teach that lesson tonight, but it's a great lesson. And, and so um, any of us who are addicts must admit that we fell in love with our drug because it felt good. And the Bible says God thwarts the cravings of the wicked. So people who do drugs and alcohol, we understand we get to a point where all we got to do is have our drink or our drug just to feel normal. We don't even get any joy out of it anymore. Otherwise, we're miserable. So it is with whatever you try to gain power over. It just doesn't work continually. And God is slowly speaking through all of that pain to say, let it go. Let me. Let go. Let God. I will take the power and change your life. In Psalm 62, or 6, excuse me, David shares a time in his life when he reached this point. And he says this, pity me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, for my body is sick and I'm upset and disturbed. My mind is filled with apprehension and gloom. 
So here was David in this first step moment when his pain finally surpassed his fear. And he was ready to face his denial and accept the reality of his pain that he had produced because of his mistakes and his failures because he was a human being. So it's the same for every one of us. We can't run away. We can't run around it. We must work through it. And that's why we're here to support one another like no place else on the planet as we work through the pain together that we produced in our lives. So maybe we don't produce quite so much pain in the future. Um, one of my favorite places, and I teach this a lot, but I, well, you teach what you know. These are scriptures out of Galatians 5 that I use to analyze my own production of pain all the time. I actually don't use them. God brings them to my mind because he says, maybe you need to look at these things in your life because there's some pain you should pay attention to, uh, that, uh, uh, you're producing because of these things. And, um, here in this, it's uh, all about our pride and our desire to be God, but uh, it's the outflow. The, the scriptures call it the fruit of our selfish nature, our sin nature, Galatians describes it. And this is a nature that exists in you and me and every human being that fights against the spirit of God till we die and go to heaven. The scriptures say it. They're at war with each other and they will not cease being at war with each other. So it's pretty important to pay attention to these things. And Galatians 5 describes this list uh, into three categories. I'm only going to cover two. Encourage you, maybe just search the scriptures and say, hey, I found the other ones that you didn't talk about the other night. I think it would be a benefit to you. But, but uh, these are uh, uh, things that the scripture begins with and it says, the sins of the, of the self are obvious. I love that. I mean, this is so recovery right here because isn't denial when we Avoid what is obvious and pretend it's not obvious. It's obvious to our loved ones. It's obvious to everybody else in the world we're losing it. But we're sitting there going, it works for me. And, and that's how sick I used to be and still can be. So the first one are listed as the sensual sins is what a lot of theologians call them. These are sins that give us physical and emotional pleasure but harm our relationship with God and with people. It's a pain they produce anytime we act out. And they're listed. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, which is the Greek word pornea there, which means sex with self or others outside of the marriage bed. Okay, pretty easy. We all get that one. I think. I do. Impurity. Impurity is the next one. The word there is akarthesia. Akarthesia. It's, it's the word we get catharsis from. And catharsis is a spiritual release or purification, a healthy moment in our spirituality when we experience a catharsis. The word a means without, just like atheism is without God. So acarthesia means without any spiritual, healthy, pure benefits to it. And it really just means immoral behavior. I think we all can connect with that at some level. Debauchery, orgies. Hopefully we can't all equate with that one because yes, it does mean group sex. And, and drunkenness. I get that one. In this day and age in California, I think most people have experienced that one too. Hit home, does with me. I hope it does with you. What a great list of things to say. How are those things producing pain in my life today? Maybe I admit that I'm powerless over that. I've been doing that for five years, 20 years, 30 years. Time to maybe take that to the Lord and apply my program to those things. 
The next things after the sensual sins are the social sins. And I just got to tell you, folks, these are the ones that we like to point fingers at those sensual sins people and go, yeah, they're really losers. They're, they're having group sex and drink, getting drunk, you know. But these are just as significant to God. Especially, I think, I won't say more significant, though I have heard that taught by certain pastors. Because our highest calling is to love. And so these are what are called the social sins. The human interaction sins. Uh, uh, starts with hatred. Hatred of other people. Enmity towards others. Uh, some, I've heard it taught that that just means having a critical spirit towards humanity. Uh, Lord help me. Um, which leads to the next one. Discord. Discord is, is men quarreling and contending with one another uh, for little or no cause or benefit out of selfish desires to be right or change somebody else, which they're powerless over. Um, goes on to say jealousy fits a rage, which also go together because these are two of the biblically most powerful emotions known to the human condition. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, and the like. All fruits of our selfishness and pride and direct opposition to our ability to love. Every one of those. They're on the other side. They're, our, they're the flesh fighting the spirit of God who's saying, don't do those things. So these sins are all self-descriptive and obvious. Yet in our day and age, there is such denial everywhere. Because, we're in a, because where we are in our country, I'm going to make right now a nonpartisan political statement. Please don't apply partisanship to what I'm about to say. This is a statement towards United States, you and I, in America today. Every bit of political activity I see and that you're hearing about through the news on both sides is born of the sinful nature. Born of the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, factions, envy. Hello? Look at the news. May it not be true of us. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on. If you're a conservative, rise above it. We're called to do it when if you slip, get right, admit you're wrong, and promptly admit it and change. We don't want to be part of the problem as believers. And here's what's more important. Rise above it and then go to the people you see on your side of the aisle and tell them don't do it. Stop it. If you're a liberal, same thing. Doesn't matter because it's all a fruit of the flesh. Rise above it. And if you see people on your side of the aisle acting out, go to them and say, stop it. It's not, especially if they're Christians. If they're not, they don't get it. That's what they do. That's what I used to do. But now you have the Holy Spirit within you. Don't get caught up in the jealousy, factions, fits of rage, dissensions, hatred, all of that and the like because it's fruit of the flesh and it hurts you. That's why you go to them. You say it's hurting you. That's not healthy. It's hurting those you love. That's not good. It's hurting our culture and our nation. Stop it. If there isn't hope within the church, there is no hope. Thank you. So, back to the point. Tonight... What's the fruit of your life? Maybe you're powerless over those things. Believe me, I grew up in Washington, D.C. It's in my DNA. So you think I have to fight it. I do. I have to really fight it to rise above. But, uh, and I fail a lot. But I do my own inventory and try to get right. So um, 
The selfish acts are fruit that are all born of our desire to be God and in control. So, stop those things. And start doing these things. Simple, and I'm done. Admit you're powerless. <laughs> Hello, that's, that's the point of the whole, whole, the whole lesson tonight. Just accept that it's true. If you're struggling with it, go to your sponsor, just like I used to have to do. So that they can explain to you what this powerless principle means and how you actually apply it to your life. Let me take you one more scripture here. Uh, just to drive home this powerless point. The Apostle Paul lamented, we read it every week up here in Romans 17, that I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire, the Holy Spirit lives in me, but I can't carry it out. I keep slipping and sliding back into the flesh and wanting to be powerful. And, and look at if the Apostle Paul, the greatest, arguably the greatest Christian other that ever lived, uh, uh, still struggled late in his life when he wrote the book of Romans with the ability to, to think he wanted to be in control and he was powerless, then I think we need to go, okay, maybe what the pastor's preaching, what this program is preaching is true of me. I'm powerless. Yep, just like Paul. And finally, admit that your lives is unmanageable. This is a whole lesson. I'm gonna, not going to teach it tonight, but... Over the years, so many reject this premise that I talk to, and I've had many get angry at me if you attempt to guide them and explain to them that, yes, come on guys, just like me, your life's unmanageable in certain ways. may not be like mine used to be, but it's still areas that you're powerless and your life's unmanageable. Look at every person in scripture, literally, name one, other than Jesus, their lives were unmanageable. If there's one thing the scriptures say about every person in the Bible is they had unmanageability in their lives. Every one of them. Uh, so not only Paul, but David, a man after God's own heart. I just read that in, in Acts. Uh, said this in four, Psalm 40:12. Problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins too many to count have all caught up with me and I'm ashamed to even lift my head and look up. As I look at my list today, that can sound familiar to me. It's not hard for me to admit I'm powerless, but years ago it was. So tonight, take the first step by beginning to change the way you think, by stopping your denial that you want to be God and that your attempts to control things are cre creating pain in your life and others. And start changing your thinking in the two ways one, you admit that you're powerless, you're just dust, the scriptures say that God breathed life into. That's about the most humbling definition of me, I know. And hence, we're powerless over our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. And second, admit that your life is unmanageable because of those repeating patterns that take you down places that hurt you and those you love. That's the first step towards real life change, to a new life. A life lived by faith, not by sight. A life with fruit that will last for thousands of years and forever in eternity when you die. It's what Christ came to die for. It's the abundant life. And it begins in the Bible, in these rooms, with powerless. Let me pray. Lord, um, I see life through my lenses, and I love first lines of movies. I like laugh lines of movies. I think those are put there by the authors to make a point of some kind, uh, to draw you in or to make the final points that closes. And Lord, um, recovery starts. <laughs> Who likes 
to admit complete and utter defeat in their life. Well, we all have things that we need to admit that about because it'll never change until we do. And you want us to become more like you. So with tonight, people take this message and begin to think differently and, and meditate on it, talk to their sponsor about it, talk in group about it, own it more for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Stay there for a second. I don't know if you guys have ever been up front and I don't know if you experienced out there, but the power of 250 people praying a prayer of that power and significance simultaneously is overwhelming from where I stand. Thank you. That's just a beautiful, beautiful sound. So... First time guests, group right across the hall. We'll see you all back in an hour. God bless you.